and we are live from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech, anti-censorship, and good conversation in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. The show brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Hey, Rod, how you doing? Rod from Philly, our producer. I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? How you feeling? Doing, doing well. I had some sleep last night, and my girlfriend made pelmeni. Do you know what pelmeni is, Rod? Uh, I know it's a Russian dish, and I saw the picture of it. It looked, looked kind of good, so. It's their meat dumplings, basically. Oh, that's, yeah, no, no, yeah, that's good, then. They're kind of like tortellini, except a little heartier. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it looked good in the picture. I, like, I want to try it. It's real good. And I'm a great boyfriend, and I got her a Pelmeni press. You know, that's the way to a lady's heart. And she made them today, so I'm feeling pretty well. But I've had Pelmeni at a number of Russian restaurants over the years, and I like them a lot. And they're, they're very meaty. But, the, but also the outer flour covering isn't thin like tortellini. Does that make sense? They're a little heartier. It's like tortellini and yep. steroids. Yep. I'm saying Rod. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, let me uh, say today's show, I feel like I'm a dude in the view. It's an all-female show. Not me, and not saying anything about you, Rod. But I'm saying we have two guests of the feminine persuasion. In the first hour, we have the great Scotty Nell Hughes, previous guest and friend of the show, and conservative stalwart. We'll be talking about all kinds of stuff evolving on the right. And we'll also be talking about some of the stuff. Are you aware of what the Biden administration is doing about transgender issues in schools? Yeah, I saw that about two days ago that they're trying to force, you know, it's kind of like if you want to eat, you got to adhere to our uh, transgenderism and sexuality teaching. If not, no free lunches for you. That's exactly right. They're going to take away school. If a school says we want girls to only compete with girls in athletics, right? If they oppose that, they're going to take away their school lunch funding. And I'll have to be talking to Scott and Nell Hughes about that among other issues. Also, in the second hour, we have Sonia Vandenende. I have trouble with that name in my post-stroke. I don't know why. I think it's the Vanden, then saying Enda afterwards. I just have trouble getting it all out, but I, I did eventually. Vandenende. She's a great investigative journalist who's been over in Ukraine recently. She's been in Mariupol. She's been in the Kherson region. And I'll talk to her about that, but I'll also talk to her about biolabs in Ukraine and a fairly frightening report. And do you know who's in those biolabs? I think you heard the interview, Rod. I've recorded the interview already. But who's in on it is the US, the government of Ukraine, and Pfizer and Moderna, right? So the biolabs, when, when we were talking about biolabs with Saddam Hussein, we didn't build in pharmaceutical companies. 
But this is, it sounds like the ultimate conspiracy theory, doesn't it? Because you're combining COVID conspiracy theory with international bioweapons conspiracy theory, and it's not a conspiracy. It's all true. Right, Rod? Yeah, and you know, Lee, the, the media, this is the one thing the media really, really, really doesn't want to touch. They immediately call you conspiracy theorists that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, almost if they touch it, they're going to explode. So they're doing everything possible. Yeah, I know, I know Therese's been calling in. Uh, usually once or twice a week, he has uh, more updates on us, but Asanja is going to give us a, a great report on it. And like you, like you said, it is, it is terrifying, but it's not uh, unexpected, I guess, because, I mean, what... What is left for us not to expect from uh, our government, our corrupt system that we have here in America? And I'll tell you, if you want to get the truth, Russia is your friend. And I asked her about that. Russia presented this conference today, right, Rod? The government of Russia. Yesterday, I believe. Yesterday or the day before, Sancho was involved in it, yeah. Yes. And I asked her whether she thought Russia's committed because you need someone with big resources, like a country, right? And Russia is exposing the corporate links as well as the governmental links. And this is frightening. And we'll be talking with Sonia about it next hour. And we'll be taking your calls, 202-521-1320 on, what's the name of the show, Rod? You listen to The Backstory. Now, out in New York, did you see, Rod, that the New York State Legislature will end mass shootings? Not really, but they have banned gun sales for if you're younger. They they don't allow you to buy a so-called assault rifle if you're 18. They've raised the age on buying a assault rifle. Now, actually, do you think that will be effective, Rod? No, no, Lee, this is just uh, political virtue signaling for the Democrats to cheer about that, you know, uh, the step, but it's a step closer to them trying to abolish the Second Amendment, which they is their ultimate goal. Now, in one sense, it seems, if you're short-sighted, like it, it's the answer to the recent shootings, because I don't know, how old was the dude in Tulsa? He didn't look 18, he looked like a middle-aged dude. Do you have any idea how old he was, the guy who shot his hospital in Tulsa? I think he was 46. I think think he was 46, Lee. He was 46. Okay. That's what it looked like. Have you seen a picture of him? The picture of him, he looks shocked. Someone was taking a picture. Got the crazy eyes. Yes. Got the crazy eyes look. Yes. Crazy eyes. He stole AOC's eyes. That's clear. But the other two mass shootings... The guy up in Buffalo and the school shooting in Ovalde, those were young guys. How old was the guy in Buffalo? Was he 18? Yeah, I believe he just turned 18 not many, uh, not too long before shooting. Yeah, and Uvalde was 18. So in those cases, there are people who turned 18. Have they ever figured out how the guy in Uvalde bought those guns, by the way? I don't know if it's a theory or if it's true, but I believe he received those stimulus checks. So they're trying to say that those stimulus checks he used to buy the gun, but I don't know how true that is. Because here's the thing, Rod, and I'm not accusing him of anything, 
But if you want to go out today and buy two AR-15s and ammo, could you do it? Um, two. I don't know if you get two. I bring. I mean, probably yeah. You get that much money? No. <laughs> I mean, I thought you meant like hypothetically, but no, I don't got that. That's, that's what five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars. Right. It's like about five thousand. I I don't have five thousand dollars at all. I had to check. I just bought some towels. They were twenty bucks, and I had to check my account first. So that's the point I'm at. I'm eating, obviously. My girlfriend's making good pilmeni, but also I'm not two assault rifles is like five thousand dollars, right, Rod? Those are expensive guns. Yeah, but that's minus the ammo. You don't even you're not even including the ammo. Right. Which, but but I don't see how this kid in Uvalde. Who's a minimum wage worker, right? I, I heard he was a burger flipper. He had some restaurant low-skilled job, which is typical. When I was 18, I had a low-skilled job. Some would argue I still do. But I could not have raised $5,000. My car broke down when I was 18. I abandoned my car. I could afford to fix it. But that's the point I'm making, Rod. Some people were asking. Yeah, I had the same exact question. I had the same exact questions. You know, like it it was two rifles. I mean, I'd have to save up to get one AR-15. But this guy, this kid, who lived with his grandparents, uh, I I believe he was unemployed at the time already. I think that was just his previous job. um, Had two of them. Then again, the ammo and all that. And again, we don't have any answers to how he got this. I mean, they don't. They're not even talking about this story anymore, Lee. It's just. Just ban the guns, and that'll make everything better. That's they've already moved on. Yeah, and even saying as a stimulus check, did anyone you know get a five thousand dollars stimulus check? No, no, but I'm guessing. You know, that's like, like I said, I guess that's the theory. I, I didn't, I didn't know if that was the theory of the facts, but that's what I was reading online that they believe he used his stimulus check to get the, these weapons. And I've seen, I believe that's a theory, but I don't know that's a fact. I have not seen anything by that. By the way, I said something wrong the other day. You and I were talking about hypersonic missiles. Remember that, Rod? And whether Russia had used hypersonic missiles in the Ukraine-Russia war? Yeah, I remember that. Turns out they have. Ingrid sent me a news story. Earlier in the conflict, Russia used hypersonic missiles. And the story was weird. Because it was a U.S. media source reporting on it. What it seems like is, and why we haven't heard about it, is Russia using hypersonic missiles. This is kind of downplaying hypersonic missiles. It was a news story kind of going, well, hypersonic missiles aren't a big deal. Technically, all missiles are hypersonic. It was weird. But they apparently have used them a couple times in the conflict. So that answers that one. But they were making a big deal of it, and neither was the U.S., that explains why we didn't hear about it. But thanks, Ingrid, for that correction. So the other thing I noticed today was Paul Sperry, who's a reporter, who's done a lot of good work. And I'm going to criticize him in a second, but I'll point out Paul Sperry's done a lot of good work on Russiagate. Did you see what Paul Sperry said about the investigators 
talking to the germ team? I've been reading his tweets, Lee, so I don't know which one which one exactly you're talking about. Uh, the last thing I read, and which I found, I don't know if it was from him, uh, was that um, Sidney Blumenthal has grandfathers from Ukraine. That's yeah, I'll, I'll get you Blumenthal. Uh, but he said there might be more indictments from the Durham team. I saw half a dozen indictments, referrals for indictments. Yeah, I so, did read that. Yeah, I did read that part, yeah. Yeah, so we may not have heard the last of the germ team. Although the first we heard of him didn't result in a conviction. But I would be happy to see more indictments for the germ team. And I don't think just because they probably won't get convictions, I think they should indict more people. What do you think, Rod? No, for sure, Lee. And, uh, you know, we had Michael Sussman come out and have a mini press conference and talk about, you know, that he was accused of these. I mean, it's in black and white, his text messages, his his own notes, his own billing uh, of uh, meeting with Hillary Clinton and then the CIA, FBI. So just went outside and lied uh, in a little mini press conference. And, you know, I, like I said, I went to the trial where Robbie Mook and James Baker spoke, who works at Twitter. Um, so the reason Russiagate isn't as big as it should be is uh, all these people work at Twitter, you know, people like James Baker used to work at FBI. But yeah, I would love to sit in on a couple more of these trials and, and see the Durham team at work. I was particularly happy because Paul Sperry brought out some stuff that Sid Blumenthal was involved in. That's who you're referring to earlier, right, Rod? Yeah, it's, since he's the uh since he's him and um Cody Shearer are part of the uh the first dossier, um, you know, uh, Paul Sperry has been talking about uh Sidney Blumenthal's connections, family connections to Ukraine. No, I thought I would and I thought I would point out some stuff about the Russiagate investigation again. And those of you who have been following me for a while, like I know Rod has, he knows he's mentioning some names, Sid Blumenthal, Cody Scher. I hardly hear anyone ever talk about their involvement in Russiagate. Right, Rod? But it's clear. So who are these people? I thought I'd go over some of that stuff. Sid Blumenthal, he's the father of journalist Max Blumenthal, who actually does some good work, right? You agree, I think. Max Blumenthal over the... What's gray he zone, with? yeah. The gray zone? The gray zone. The gray zone. I almost say the intercept. That's not Max. But the gray zone, Max does some good work. But Sid Blumenthal is a longtime Clinton operative. Now, when I say long time, Clinton worked in 91 on becoming president, worked with Blumenthal and the Shures. In 91, when he was running for president, Sid Blumenthal was one of his dirty tricks operative. Because you heard about the affairs, Clinton was having Jennifer Flowers and so on, that threatened his presidential run. So the people who worked on that were Sid Blumenthal and a guy named Cody Scherer. Who is Cody Shearer? Cody Shearer goes back with Clinton to the late 60s. So let me take you back to Yale University in 1968. The graduating class of 68 was Strobe Talbot. And he, of course, went on to be more famous as head of the Brookings Institute and so on. And you've been hearing a little about Strobe Talbot lately. 
but not learned enough. In 68, he graduated Yale, and his roommate was a guy named Derek Scherer. Derek Scherer, he was, he had a famous father. Derek Scherer's father was a guy named Lloyd Scherer, and he was one of the most well-read journalists in the country. Derek Scherer's father was Lloyd Scherer, and he was with Parade Magazine. Actually, I, I don't even know how old you have to be to remember Parade, but Parade was one of the best-read magazines, news magazines in the country. And the reason it was read by so many people was because it was free in a Sunday paper. Rod, do you remember Parade? Just barely, Lee, just barely. Yeah, I believe just barely. Because even when I remember it, it was the kind of thing that your grandmother would read. Not picking on Rod's grandmother, but anyone's grandmother would read. It was a Sunday supplement. And Tarif, I say I'll get to you in a couple minutes. Parade had a huge circulation. I forget. I think it was like 30 million. And Lloyd Shearer was an editor for Parade magazine. Do you know why? Parade magazine was a well-read magazine, but it covered mostly tabloidy stuff. Celebrity gossip. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Human interest stories, the kind of stuff that's in Reader's Digest, and also stories about Raquel Welch, because it was back in that era. And Lloyd Shearer published a column under the name Walter Scott, Walter Scott's Personality Parade. Now, it doesn't sound like a tabloidy celebrity rag would be a factor in American politics. Does it? Would you think so, Rod? Uh, no, Lee, that doesn't sound like it would have any effect on, uh, on American politics. And that's what a lot of people thought. But Cy Hirsch, the great investigative reporter for the New York Times, was friends with Lloyd Scherer. And he said what he learned from Lloyd, think, think about it. Think about it for a second. If someone was going to affect your grandmother or someone you know's grandmother, are they going to get to him with an exhaustive discussion of foreign policy? Think about it. Because your grandmother gets a vote too. You follow me? People with no interest in politics vote, and they're more interested in the celebrity news of the day, whether it's Johnny Depp or Raquel Welch. Does that make sense? So people who vote don't really care about politics. Is that fair to say, Rod? Yeah, they, they just like the salacious stuff, yeah. And so Cy Hirsch said Lloyd taught him that's not all about politics. And what he'd do is in his column, Personality Parade, what do you think the kind of stuff that someone's grandmother would be interested in about Bill Clinton is? They say this guy, Bill Clinton, Southern, fairly young, right? And they say that they think that looks good, but then they hear he might be a dog. He might be cheating on his wife with a bunch of waitresses in Arkansas. And they might not like the look of that. And so what Walter Scott would do is he would publish in his column pieces like, here's a Q&A format. Someone would ask him a question, did Raquel Welsh have collagen put in her butt or something like that? 
that level of question. I think it was an actual question. They they would ask him, Walter Scott, I've heard a rumor where Bill Clinton is a dog. Is he a dog? And guess what Walter Scott would do? Now, we know the truth now, right? If someone asked a celebrity gossip columnist now, did Bill Clinton have a bunch of repairs? What's the truth about that? Well, the truth is just too too many to name. That would be uh, too many to count, I mean, too many to count. Right. In fact, the only person he made us up with was Hillary Clinton. And she may have had a bunch of repairs, too. And I'm just saying. But what, what Walter Scott said, think about this. He said, no, no, no. That's total conjecture. That's a rumor. And so it reassured the grandmothers of America that Bill Clinton was a good guy. And how much of an effect did that have on his votes? A lot. You see what Cy Hirsch thought? See, Cy realized you could do a great think piece about foreign policy, saying how brilliant Clinton is in foreign policy. It's not going to affect his votes as well as saying he's not cheer. Does that make sense, what Cy learned from Lloyd Rod? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense, Lee. And uh, at, at the next hour, I want to ask you a question about Cyrus because I know you've talked about him before. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. And so, and and literally, the Cyrus learned that from Lloyd Shearer, and the Lloyd Shearer column, Walter Scott's personality parade, was one of the most read magazines in the country. Thirty million viewers or so. His son was a roommate. His son Derek was a roommate with Strobe Talbot. And his son had a brother, Cody Scherer. And Cody Scherer was a twin brother with a woman named Brooke Scherer. And because he's his roommate, Strobe Talbot met Brooke Scherer. And they later got married, I think in 1970. And Brooke Scherer and Derek Scherer became close friends of Bill Clinton's because in Oxford in 69, Bill Clinton's roommate was Strobe Talbot in England, in Oxford. His roommate was Strobe Talbot. And because he was dating at the time Brookshire, it's logical Bill Clinton met the Talbot, the, the Talbot, Strobe Talbot, and the Shearer family. You follow me? So they've known Bill Clinton since 1969. He knew Strobe Talbot. Derek Scherer, who would later be appointed to an ambassadorship by Clinton. Cody Scherer, who was a dirty text operative who worked with Cy Blumenthal in 91. And he worked on those bimbo eruptions, Jennifer Flowers and so on. And Brooke Scherer. Brooke Scherer would go on to work for Hillary Clinton. All through 91, Brooke Scherer was on the bus with Hillary Clinton. Now, two of those people, this sounds like ancient history, the 70s, right? It is, or the 90s. Both, they go back to the 70s, but they worked with him in the first presidential run. And Cody Scherer is right in the middle of Russiagate. And I'll talk more about that later. But let's go to Tarif, 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on. Thanks for waiting. Thank you, Lee and Ron, for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free drilling and science. I have five comments, and they're going to be quick. I promise you. First comment, due to sanctions against Russia, 
the world has run out of LNG tankers. That's the tankers that can ship natural gas to Germany and Europe. Um, second comment, Russia had met with OPEC over the week, and because of um, the risk that they spoke to Russia, okay, OPEC cannot increase the um, production of petroleum because of they have less, they don't have that much investment into the oil refineries, the petroleum refineries because of the green initiatives. By people invest putting their money in, in solar panels and windmills instead of oil refineries, they can't produce that much oil like they used to produce. So even though they gave the Biden administration, like um, on paper saying that they will produce, but in reality, they won't. They, they can't do it because um, they have less investment in the oil facilities. My third comment, Meditative. Meditative uh, was given an interview. He said the horsemen of the apocalypse are on their way. Um, this is not a prediction. Um, the horsemen of the populace are already on their way, and all hope is only in, in the Lord God and Almighty. And just to remind your audience, Medvedev if he was like the prime minister of Russia at one time, he needs to be the future prime minister. My support comment is this. Anti-Russian, okay, anti-Russian sanctions have deprived African countries of essence of green, grain and fertilizers. Putin is now meeting with the AU, African Union, and the Senegalese president right now, discussing things such as that right now. And it also is rumored that they're going to have an African conference in, in Russia in the following months to work out some deals and maybe get on the mirror pay system or the chip system so they can go around the uh, SWIFT system because the sanctions are hurting Africa. My last comment is this is my opinion, uh, my little conspiratorial opinion. Um, I've been looking, monitoring things, and I'm, I'm, we got five months till the election, right? And we all know there's going to be a red rave. We all know. So my, my, my problem, my thing is this, what caught my eye. Why is the DNC, so-called, or the deep state is not freaking out? Why don't he, why we don't see people ratting on each other? Why don't see people jumping ship and going to, El, to other countries to try to get away? The thing is this, I think, in my opinion, is this. They probably have an ace up their sleeve, like a, a to, October surprise, that they're hoping that this ace up their sleeve will be the answer that they need before the elections to turn things around. And let's, not, and let's hope that it's not, nothing serious like a September 11th or something else. That's my opinion. Thank you all for taking my call. Thanks, Rafe. And I think it's a fairly safe bet there'll be some stuff happening in October that we can't anticipate yet. But we can anticipate being able to not anticipate it. But Rod, we'll take a break here in one second, and then we'll come back with Scotty on Hughes. But did what I was saying, laying out some of the stuff with Cody Scher and Derek Scher and Brooke Scher and Strobe Talbot make some sense? Oh yeah, Lee, that definitely makes 100% sense. And it's a thing that's decades old. And it's, I guess, you know, you could say it was in the planning before Bill Clinton was president. So it's like a... Uh, it's a giant conspiracy plot. You know, we have the conspirators, the ones you were talking about. And that's why in the Sifman trial, it came out that Hillary Clinton was directly involved. What I've been saying for a long time, understand this is, it is fair to say that Strobe Talbot and the Shurs are Bill Clinton's oldest friends. They were born in 69, they're over 50 years, right? They're some of Bill Clinton's oldest political friends. Is that fair to say? If a 50-year friend, you trust them. 
Yeah, right? 50 years, yeah. 50 years, yeah. And so it's been obvious to me that the Russiagate plot, the Clintons are right at the center of it. And they were working with their oldest friends. Does that tell you anything, Rod? When they're working with their oldest friends, what, what does it tell you? Just, well, on a, tell, just on a human level. Well, it tells me that they're uh, corrupt to the bone, and it's just proof of it now with the Russia Gate and Sussman uh, pretty much admitting that Hillary, or Robbie Mook admitting that Hillary Clinton was uh, the originator of all this. So that's what it tells me. And what it tells me is just on a human level that these are people they trust deeply, right? Strobe Talbot, if you've known him since 69, he's a guy you've learned over the years you can trust. And they so they brought in their inner circle. And I'll talk more about that after the break on the backstory. on the backstory from the Empire of Lies and in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C., we're on the radio, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joined now by the great Scotty Nell Hughes. Hey, Scotty, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful this Friday. I mean, I'm still holding on to my, clinging to my gun, my Bible, uh, my Diet Coke, my Big Gulp, uh, and anything else that I think becomes politically opportunistic for this administration right now to try to go after if they think it would gain them popularity points in their devastating polls. Well, I'll talk to you about that, but I was talking about Sid Blumenthal and I was talking about Cody Scherer earlier. And the thing that Cy Hirsch learned from Cy Lloyd Scherer, do you remember remember Parade Magazine in the Sunday paper? Yes, I did. I do remember when that was coming out. It it was almost wasn't it owned by USA Today at some point. I th- I think possibly Gannett it was owned replaced it. by them. But mm-hmm. what kind of articles did you have in Parade? Was it a hard hitting political journal in your memory? No, because it was right next to the comic section and the Kohl's discount coupons. Uh, no, they weren't really hard hitting. I mean, you'd have interviews, but there were more just things. Uh, there were more the lighthearted side, because obviously if it was a hard hitting news interview or a hard hitting story, it would be on the front page of the paper that it was in. It was an insert. But immediately on Sunday, many grandmas moved to the middle of the paper where the stuff was in color. So it's more inviting. And Parade would be read by people. And if they did a, a puff piece on Bill Clinton or whoever, when Bill Clinton was running for president, that would have more impact on votes than the front page. Does that make sense, Scotty? I can see that. I can definitely see where you, you would get that from, yes. Yes. And they knew their power. And that's why, do you know who wrote about this years ago in the 90s? Tucker Carlson, a young reporter named Tucker Carlson. You can find it on the internets. He wrote a great piece on how Parade Magazine was used by the Clintons. They really pioneered this, using Parade Magazine for politics, not taking everything so seriously. Does that make sense? Yes, it's more of the feature stories, making him making him look lighthearted and uh, not as scary DC politicians or Arkansas. So exactly, 
and and so I'm going to ask you a question about Johnny Depp in one second, just to to rip a page from Prairie Magazine to learn a lesson. It's not about hard news, but let me first use as a lonely hearts columnist, Scotty. I've got a girlfriend. Tell me if she's a keeper. She not only took care of me in the hospital, but she makes me Russian food. Does that sound like a keeper, Scotty? Well, so it's funny that you would mention that because one of my mother's old friends, their, her grandmother, um, did an interview with Albert Einstein. And he said that he could always tell the quality of a woman by the quality of her chicken soup. So... She can make you Russian food, but is it quality Russian food? And if it's yes, then she's definitely. She's making it from scratch. And furthermore, I've had some experience with marriage. And you know that part of the vows where they say, do you take him in sickness and in health? Remember that? Remember that? Right. You you yes. took that oath seriously, I assume. <laughs> uh, 17 years later, yes. Very, very I found some women don't take this sickness and in health part as seriously. I'll leave it there. But not everyone takes well, hold that. On. Let me point out, though, there is a difference in sickness in the fact that, you know, no offense, and I'm, I hate to insult my very male audience, but there is something to be said that if, if a guy has a cold, you would think that, you know, he needed, you know, long-term surgery. I mean, when my husband, I love him to death, 17 years, but when he gets a cold, um, I mean, we have all the lights down and he's laying down and I'm bringing him chicken soup. And I mean, it's you would think that he had full pneumonia right now. He has a sunburn on his back. And so at night, trying to get him to go to sleep, because every time he flips, he hits a little bit of the sunburn. You would think that he was laying on glass with the oh, ow, oh, can't do that. Can't try that. So don't take this the wrong way. That sickness can be pushed. So if she stayed by you in the hospital where he truly was sick. Um, she's definitely a keeper on that one. And I wasn't in the hospital for a sunburn, let me point out. <laughs> and I, I try not to be a hypochondriac, but when your wife of 20 years takes, when you've been passing out on the street, and now it's the time for divorce. You know what I'm saying? That's not hypochondria. That's when you pass out in the White House, okay, bye. That's not exactly taking the oath seriously. But you're a good woman, Scotty. So let me ask you about this, because you are a woman. Do you, did you care at all about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? Were you watching it at all? I honestly just read updates on Twitter that was on my feed. I was not one of those engrossed by it. I don't hate the people that were engrossed by it. I think, you know, these they need I guess the soap operas weren't doing well enough. They didn't have enough plot line because it really kind of shocked me how overwhelmingly popular people got into watching uh, the Johnny Depp uh, Amber Heard trial. Now, do you think that trial that Johnny Depp won has any implications about male and female relationships or anything to people's day-to-day -day lives? Do you think it has any relevance at all to the stuff that people deal with? Obviously, it's dramatic in part because, in fact, Everybody's been through relationships, breakups, and they had that drama. And also it had substance issues and famous people drunk and pooping in a bed and so on. But do you think it, it says, and we're going to segue from this to transgender issues. What is the current state of relationship between men and women when people have 27 genders? Do you think it it simplified things, 
No one was questioning anyone's gender in Deb Heard. It said, that dude, he's the dude, and she's a chick. And that there are no gender dysfunctional issues. What do you think the whole age of woke has meant for relationships, Scotty? Well, let me back up. I think that if anybody looks at their relationship and thinks that they can relate to it in any way, um, then they should be in Hollywood films because the more that you heard about what their what their life was like together and the things that they did and said to each other, you, it really did sound like a movie script. It was like they were trying to live out the movie, uh, that the roles that they always wanted uh, cast for. Uh, that was not real life. I think 99%, okay, let me say 98% of average people do not live a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard a type of relationship. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of crazy. And that's crazy in relationships, whether we're talking about male, female, political relationships, professional relationships. There is a lot of crazy. A lot of people do a lot of crazy things these days, uh, especially if we're going to talk about Congress. But in this case, in those that case right there, there was crazy on both sides. And, and frankly, I think the fact that we made it, so many people were paying attention to it, I think it might make that crazy be even more wanted by some. Those who looked at some of the things they did, and now it's going to make crazy somewhat be acceptable. Uh, and that's kind of a little, you know, we used to think of a cheating woman would take the bat, the bat to the car and that she was crazy that way. That's not what we saw. We saw a whole nother level of, of craziness that was just put out there every day, and people were just enthralled with that storyline. Uh, but that kind of just shows why we have a, and I'm going to segue into politics, why we have a problem with politics today. If people would pay attention right now to what was going on to Washington, D.C., as much as they paid attention to every detail in that, that was in that trial, uh, I think we would be a very much more informed country, but we'd be much more aware of what was going on. But that is why you see that D.C. and politicians and everything else, why they want to make it as intricate and as boring and as unrelatable as possible because they don't want people to see what was going on. And in this case, people were paying attention so much. I do believe it did have an effect on the trial. I think it had an effect on the outcome. I think it was going to be the same outcome. You know, it was still going to find Amber to be at fault. But I think it definitely added to it because so many people were paying attention. That's the exact opposite of what Washington, D.C. wants. And that was why Trump was so great, because he made people want to pay attention to what was going on there. So that, that's, in, that's what we're seeing right now with the Ukraine war, what is going on over there. Because I think, in fact, I'm pretty sure of this right now. The, the Russia is winning in Ukraine. It is such a devastating loss for the West. I'm not going to say for Ukraine. Ukraine's lost, but they were they were losing the first time someone uh, someone was shot in the streets. You know, they lost their lives. The West lost this war, and Joe Biden knows this. And so, the more that you're seeing the media being distracted and going other places, the more you know that they are losing their war in Ukraine, and they don't want the American people because the American people are going to go. Wait a minute. Where's all the billions that we gave to it? Where are all of it? Now we're seeing reports showing up that a lot of the missiles, some of the missiles that we were, that the United States supplied Ukraine are somehow ending up in terrorist hands in the Middle East. That report just came out this morning. So we've got a version of the international uh, fast and furious on our hands right now, thanks to Joe Biden. I mean, Obama did fast and furious across the southern border. You're going to have uh, Biden's going to continue that legacy with international fast and furious, and we are literally 
arming terrorists because you know Ukraine is just taking those and passing those through um, to uh, passing those through to the uh, Middle East and to the terrorists and, and some of Americans' enemies. And God forbid, once again, we're going to find ourselves being fought with our own weapons. And now moving into politics from Johnny Depp, but I will say, as much of the crazy behaviors heard in the Johnny Depp trial, none of it pales it pales in comparison to the real life exploits of Hunter Biden. Wouldn't you agree? You you hear Johnny Depp did anything as crazy as a Thursday for Hunter Biden? <laughs> I mean, I think probably if anything, uh, Johnny Depp some of the crazy things that he did might have gotten from, you know, a, a cliff note version of Hunter Biden. I mean, everything, there was nothing that Johnny Depp even tried to attempt that Hunter had not already done and did it a lot better, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Right. And and, and so did you see Joe Biden's op-ed today? I stomached enough from Biden's speech last night, which I was scratching my head because in the same speech he's talking about how he wants to start putting all these regulations on the second amendment on legal gun owners in the united states i want to remind him that his last primetime speech was giving billions including arms unaccountable to ukraine so take away from the u.s citizens legal good citizens of the u.s but give it to give no problems giving weapons to ukraine without any accountability that that's right there i think why this is falling short on the american people and why ultimately this idea of any sort of gun regulations are going to pass through just because of the other uh current events that are going on but at least we ain't cuba i mean if, at least we ain't canada because canada justin trudeau you you know i said cuba by the way going back to tabloid stuff do you do you give any credence to the fact that Justin Trudeau is rumored to be Fidel Castro's son? Do you give any credence to that rumor at all? I mean, I've also heard Joe Biden was also around Justin Trudeau. Or Justin Trudeau. I've heard all sorts of people. You can see pictures and you go, okay, I can see it. I can, but but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact of the type of leader that he is. And sadly enough, or even Justin Trudeau's mother was a huge Castro fan, um, major advocate for for him. So, I mean, I can see where the conspiracy theorist uh, can draw the things, but it doesn't matter. What Justin Trudeau is doing, he's taking advantage of an event that happened in the United States. But we know this. Here's what, what I can't, while some of these proposals, okay. Well, let me, let me just point out, let me just point out, Scotty, that Maggie Trudeau wasn't just a fan she was. She traveled in the same circles as Fidel Castro, so she may have had access to a cigar. Mm. I'll leave it there. But okay. Go ahead, Scotty. Well, could we expect anything? And and this is where my hesitation goes. This is why it was so important when you had the Canadian truckers and they were fighting for their vaccine freedoms. And and obviously, I to a certain extent they lost, even though just their show of uh, their their show of passion was amazing and a great display. This is why it was so important that we, the America continues to try to stand up against a tyrannical government, because once Trudeau knew that he could beat them like that, he could take away any of the rights. And I'm sorry if I have a, a lot of uh, anxiety, if I am not one to relinquish my freedom to a government that just this time last year was not allowing my family, my husband, my child, because they weren't vaccinated, to eat in a restaurant. That just five months ago, my son was sitting on the curb in D.C. eating a Subway sandwich in 24-degree weather because he couldn't go inside because he was 14 and unvaccinated. 
That is why I have a problem with any gun control that this government pushes. Even if it sounds like one little piece here and there sounds like, okay, that could make sense to be irresponsible. You give them an inch and our government, as we have learned, makes it into the biggest canyon possible in order to, to bury the common man and not the political elite. Now, speaking of this sort of relates, but the other thing the Biden administration is doing, I talked to Rod about this earlier. Have you heard about they will take away school lunches from your school? They will stop federal funding for school lunches if your school decides that it wants to let girls ever win a sport. By which I'm I'm saying they won't want boys to compete with girls in sports because. And I think more parents, I think every every parent of underage children, particularly men, should say, my 14-year-old boy, my 15-year-old boy is officially transgender and wants to compete with the girls. Because then girls won't win a single sporting event except maybe uneven parallel bars. They have a slight advantage there. But they'll lose track and field, baseball, volleyball, everything. Because that would end it right there. But they're going to take away school lunches if your school doesn't like their transgender athletic policy. Have you heard about that, Scotty? I have heard about that. And if these are going to be, if they're going back to the Michelle Obama standard of school lunches, maybe we should consider this to be a blessing in disguise. I, here's the problem, and this is something near and dear to my heart as a mother of both a female and a male um, high school athletes. Uh, this is so wrong on so many levels. These women literally start, especially today in the competitive world that it takes to be, even to get a college scholarship, to go play in college, they start at four, five, six. They have been working for years for this. And to have, we have taken such a huge step back. They say that the, the Amber... The Johnny Depp Amber, the result of it was such a huge, you know, blow against the Me Too movement and women. No, this transgender athletics is something that's huge. And they go, well, there's not that many doing it for now. And you look at the number that is being pushed down, this idea that's being pushed down these kids' throats, that it's the only way they're going to get their scholarships, it's the only way that they're going to be able to uh, medal or win anything is they have to be different and they find this to be their way. We are encouraging a society of crazy and of excuses and of victims. And that's not a very healthy society. And that's definitely not one that can thrive and grow. Here's the thing. I can see there's no standard here. There's nothing keeping from a boy saying, what's keeping any, any young man from saying, I identify as a female swimmer. And they say, well, do you identify as a female? And they say, no, just as a female swimmer. Because there's not a standard for how long they have to have claimed. Am I right, Scotty? There's no standard for saying how long you've had to have claimed you're a woman or how many days an hour you have to claim you're a woman or whether you need to wear women's clothes or wear makeup or anything like that. What's to keep a guy from saying identifies a woman when I'm in the pool. That's it. And prove him wrong. Let, let me tell you where our society is, Lee, and, and you're completely right about that. Who's to say what, where, and how? 
here's what the the sad part in all of this is, is while we look at it, it just seems ludicrous that America is going down this aisle and all of it. It is having an effect on these children. We are seeing a major change in the demographics of our students today. It, I say this, next week my daughter is going to a cheerleading camp, a dance camp. Now, I went to dance camp for years, no problem. Next week, the issue that we had to face, her roommate's a lesbian and an outright lesbian. And I, as a mother, can't appeal that. And I'm going, but I would not let my daughter be in the same room, my my 13-year-old daughter be in the same room as a boy and sleep with them and take shots. So, that it is having an effect because never during our generation, and there's nothing wrong. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with that. But the fact is these folks and, and that have, have never had a sexual experience in their life, really haven't had anything more than crushes either way are being told that you are this way because you had this tendency. So you might as well go and identify it with it and stick with it. This is what you have to be. If you have these tendencies, this type of society, this type of pressure is unfortunately working and we're forcing these kids to make these decisions without having all of the development, all of the information. But just because uh, we as a society want to, for some reason, uh, overcompensate uh, and say that we're not overcompensate for something. Uh, But it's working. And these kids are having to have these conversations that you and I might not have had, Lee, until at least we were fully in high school, definitely possibly even in college. Those are the type of issues. But our children today, they're having to face it every day. And that's going even as young as elementary school. And you say that during Pride Month, because right now, it seems to me a lot of the Pride festivities, I don't care. It's, it's, It's a little weird to me. But it's a weird to have a parade. Here's what I like to sleep with. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a good parade. But it seems like a lot of the pride activities, they want to make them family activities, like take your kids to pride parade. Have you noticed that, Scotty? They have. And and I get the families. Um, here's my only, my only condition. It's, it's interesting because I, I have lots of very good friends who, who are members of the of the lesbian and the gay community, more in the gay community, log cabin Republicans, um, I'm very close to because like I said, I don't care who you sleep with. It's between you and God. I'm not going to judge you. I just don't want to you know, put it in my face. And I emailed them. I texted my, my group on Monday and I said, hey, I said, I'm kind of confused as a conservative, you know, as conservative, I, I want to support you guys. But at the same time, I feel like that I shouldn't also be calling you out for who you sleep with. Like, I, I don't want to treat you any different. And here's the response I gave, and I think your audience needs to hear this response. This is coming from a, a, an out, outward, proud gay man. And he said, um, let's see, honestly, I don't think you need to do anything. I kind of wish Pride Month wouldn't be a thing. Can't we just blend in? I can only imagine how some people feel having this shoved in their face for a full month every year. Equality should mean equal treatment. And not, not be special to us because we're gay, we're gay. And I think that's actually what a very large group of members of of the gay community feel like. They're like, you know, why are you putting this on our heads? It can, kind of shows for more of an agenda than this idea of oh, we want to make you feel equal, but we're all we don't. And that's how it is on a lot of these different types of issues, whether we're talking about race. Uh, whether we're talking about where your demographics, where you're from. In this case, we we scream equality, but then 
we want them to be elevated even more than where we are. And that's where you continue to have this sort of conflict happening in society today. And I have to think that politicians want it because it always goes towards their benefits. And whatever happened to this, the Folsom Street Fair of San Francisco, for instance, the Folsom Street Fair used to be something for a lot of gay people there, obviously. It's so they could act out in public wearing leather chaps, for instance, but that was adult activity. Whatever happened to the idea that sex is adult activity? You know what I'm saying? You've heard about nutty Halloween costumes or whatever. You know, men and women can wear those. But that's an adult Halloween costume. It's not taking the adult activity and putting them on children. And that's the part that's weird to me. It's not taking adult activity and mixing children into that. What do you think, Scotty? I think you're correct. You're completely correct on that. And uh, and that's where the issue comes. I do know uh, several different couples that are same sex that do have children. We can have that debate. Uh, but in my observations, they, you know, they are in a great place. They are um, good parents from what I can see, from what I what I can tell. You've heard, you know, there's obviously been several nightmare stories around the United States that have happened. Uh, and a lot of these and one a lot of people don't realize that within the United States in 2020, the largest growing, uh, the only group, the only demographic that grew within the Republican Party was actually the log cabin Republicans. That was the only demographic that grew within the party. Great conversation, Scotty and L. Hughes. We're out of time, unfortunately. Thanks so much, Scotty and L. Hughes. Let's take a short break here on The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies. It's time for the second hour of the show. There's a free speech zone, a no censorship zone, and brings you a wide variety of conversations. I'm Lisa Ann, and this is The Backstory. Great conversation with Scotty and L. Hughes, and we cover a variety of topics, and I always love talking to Scotty. This hour, we have a pre-taped interview with journalists Sonia Van de Ende, who's from the Netherlands. By the way, the, the Netherlands, that's hard to say, post-stroke. I gotta admit that. The Netherlands. I should just say Holland and be done with it. Holland is easier. And taking your call, 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. So, Rod, great conversation with Scotty, eh? Yeah, Scotty's always bringing it. And, you know, she's she was right on what she's talking about. And she's coming from a mother's point of view, you know, protecting her child and protecting the family. But, you know, the, the attack is on women. And, and uh, these liberal women have hypnotized a certain, certain percentage of the population of women themselves to think that they're uh, championing women when they're actually... Uh, discouraging women that are trying to erase your womanhood. 
Yes. And I, but I, but I'm serious. I, I think that one of the ways to fight this is actually to make it more common. If you've got a 14 year old, 15 year old boy, have him compete in women's sports, particularly if he's athletics. Can you imagine if an all-male female baseball team or name the sport, I'll put it like this, put an all-male female basketball team on the court against an all-female female basketball team. Rod, who's going to win? Lee, uh, you could probably put a high school varsity basketball men's team against a WNBA team, and they might, and more than likely, they'll probably beat them, just based on just on, based on physicality. And I think they should. There should be nothing. If you identify, no, see, here's what what I'm saying. No one sets the standard for what comes to identifying as a woman. There's no. You need to do it 40 hours a week. Have you noticed that? There's no standard rod, actually. What? Because you don't have to have surgery. We've seen guys competing with women in swimming. They still have all their parts. They didn't even go to the full Monty and have a bit cut off or anything. You notice that, right, Rod? Yeah, Lee, that's always, you know, that's always the question that I ask when people are like, oh, you know, this person's now, like, you know, like um, uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, I'm like, you know, yeah. he still never, ha- he still never had that operation, you know what I'm saying, he never, he never went the whole way to his transi- transition, so to me personally, I'm sorry, but I'm, uh, you know, I don't really, you know, acknowledge this Caitlyn into what, you know, you don't do the procedure, but with this Leah Thomas per- person, this guy who sucked as a male uh, swimmer. I mean, he just—he was never going to be a, an elite male swimmer. He just—he just wasn't that type of swimmer. But as a female swimmer, he's—you know—he's blowing all the elite <laughs> female swimmers out the water. You know what I'm saying? Right, because he's got a physical advantage, and there's no—and even Caitlyn Jenner never used that to get a leg up, so to speak, in athletics. He waited till he retired, right? He never saw his way to compete more. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's on uh, he's on Fox saying he doesn't uh, he doesn't agree with this uh, this the sports stuff, uh, this trans sports stuff. And um, but obviously the Biden administration, you know, they're they're tripling down, and now they're punishing the poor children they always talk about. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know, uh, they don't want to they don't want to fund. Uh, f- free lunch or free breakfast for, for kids, but now if you don't adhere to our uh, tr- trans ideology, we're not going to feed you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> it's like. And with the California reparations panel, and they're offering free college to black students. If you're a black student, they're suggesting you should get college free. I want to see what happens if we start. Have you seen already there? This already exists. I, I assume you've seen this in Philly. There's already plenty of white students who identify as black. You know what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Right. And and what's to keep if you're a Chinese kid from saying, I identify as black, give me free college. Right. They don't. 
and then say you're well, you're not black. Don't oppress me. I identify as black. And here's my SoundCloud hip hop song. But how offended would people be if they, they could do that with race? They deal with gender now. And if a guy comes and says, well, I identify as a woman. And if you don't let them identify as a woman, you get yelled at. It's a weird thing. Saying I identify as to define something like Ricky raised, like Dave Chappelle said, can I identify as a helicopter? And that's a good point. Why is what I identify as count more than what I obviously am? Does that make sense? If someone's obviously a guy, them saying, well, I identify as a woman, well, you're wrong. It's why is it so taboo to say that, Rod? Yeah, I don't know, Lee. It's uh, I, I really don't. I don't play those mental g- gymnastic games, um, and I, I think most people shouldn't, shouldn't either. And I think we that that'd be a way to to end it quickly and and not with this administration, but hopefully with the next administration, we have to pull the, the government funding from these universities that keep you know, plunging uh, like a factory for this wokeism, you know what I'm saying? Well, in fact, I thought about this, and I'm going to make the argument both ways. I thought about this free free tuition for black students, and I said, I was going to say, so I'll say something, and it'll sound fairly reasonable. It's going to contribute to a lot of black students getting totally useless degrees. They'd be better off if they gave them free trade school. And I'm not saying that because I think black people can only be in trades, but getting a liberal arts degree in college is less useful to you and will earn you less money than learning to fix cars, for instance. Do you agree with that argument, Rod? No, yeah, I definitely agree with the trade argument, Lee. I think uh, we should get more into trades. It would, it would, uh, it would boost entrepreneurship. It would get people off the government's. Uh, it would get people off government, you know, uh, uh, support or your or, or need. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm I'm with that. But for some reason, the Democrats aren't with that. Uh, if you if you uh, notice, ever since the Obama administration took over, they they you know, the trade schools that were around that used to be around don't exist anymore. So now just so let me make the, that I thought it through. And I think there's they're they're onto something. And I'm I'm not being facetious. I'm serious there. Think about you got two black students, high school age, and one's gonna become an auto mechanic. And the other one you say you can become a black studies major. Which one has more potential income? I would say a black student as a black studies major could go on to a career in academia and not get their hands dirty and make better money. A black student, if you've got a degree in black studies, they could get a job a lot of places, a well-paying job a lot of places as a black studies Black, black studies major. Does that make sense, Rod? Think about it. You know, a lot of those professors, or if you can get tenure, 
that can be a pretty good career. And it's an easier job than fixing cars. So you see what I'm saying? I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. Another place that degree could get you, if you're a black, black studies major, apparently you can be a presidential spokesman. You can get all kinds of jobs. Lots of companies are looking to hire black people with black studies majors as diversity executives. Does that make sense? Yeah. Being a diversity yeah, executive. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead, yeah. Ed, yeah, I know some of these people, Lee, you know, uh, I know some of these people who work with mostly women, uh, black women in these positions that are, and they're making good money. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, so yeah, no, it, it, uh, it, it's, uh, the, right now that's how, uh, things are, sh are shaped out. Unfortunately, uh, it's the diversity, inclusion, equity, the die, you know, but they spell it D E I. Cause you know, when you spell it D I E, it doesn't look so good. So right. <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> the PR firms are like, no, 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 just, just flip around the E and I that'll make it better. So no, if you're looking at jobs, and again, if you're a black daughter and she was looking, you're a guidance counselor, a black woman, you know, teenager in school, you cannot say diversity consultant, diversity executive is a job of the future. Right, Rod? Wait, so repeat that again. You're saying you're saying you can't say it's a job no, of the no, future. No, no, I'm saying you can't say that's a, there's no jobs. You'd have to say there's plenty of jobs as a diversity executive. Right, right, right. More and more companies. I, I, I would be surprised if every Fortune 500 company didn't have a diversity department. It's a growth industry. But, but Lee, look, that makes that makes a, uh, a conflict. Because think about it. Like, what, like I said, I know a lot, of, a lot of, not a lot, I'm saying, but I, uh, I know a lot personally of just how many women I know who are in these positions. And they make a lot of good money. And then you look at black men, Unless you're in a specific position or field, uh, you're not going to be making uh, as much money. So they're, they're creating this, this, this disparity between uh, in the black community, the women and men. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a factor. So uh, 202-521-1320 is the number call if you want to be part of the conversation. But as I thought about it, it occurred to me that a diversity executive, that's not a bad job to suggest someone to go into because they do pay well and there are more and more of them. Now, is it a useless profession? In my opinion, yes. But so what? I think it's useless, but there's a lot of work. And they promoted that across the corporate line. Why do you think executives... And I, I think we know why. Corporations don't want to get sued, right? So a corporation almost has to hire a diversity executive, right? As a defense, saying, look how diverse we are. We have a diversity executive. So if someone sues them, they can't say we weren't diverse enough. Do you think it's a way of fighting legal claims? Rod? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And then if you if you if you look at it, the federal government itself will come after you if if 
these claims come out like, hey, you know, this company's being racist or whatever. I mean, racist, the word racist doesn't really mean anything anymore. They can just say anything like, Lee, Lee, you're racist. You know, you don't like LeBron. You don't like LeBron James politics. So you're racist. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that word really doesn't mean anything. And in, in, in the legal world, that must be that must be hell for any lawyers trying to defend a claim of it. You know what I mean? And Rod, you said you had a question before about Cy Hirsch. What's that question? Oh, because I know you had spoken to him before. And, you know, my thing is just like, you know, what, what you know, Cy Hirsch had been around for a couple of decades and he did great work. But, you know, ever, ever like once he like Trump went into became president, kind of like disappeared him and a couple other journalists who had been around for decades. Like what, what what's your uh, thoughts on that? What's your theory on that? Like, you know, just like why have they just kind of like fallen off and kind of just sit laid back? Well. Cy Hirsch is an investigative journalist, and he did a lot of great work. And I think part of the reason is because the job of an investigative journalist is there's no need for it. Right now, journalists are essentially stenographers. They're essentially people who repeat the corporate line. And I got to say, if I was advising a young journalist, and they were saying, how do I make money and be successful? in the world of journalism. Don't be like Addy Ads, who hadn't shorted in a week. Don't be like Lee Tran. Going into journalism, if you want to make money, do what makes money, which towing the establishment line. Does that make sense? So we get someone like Cy Hirsch, he's a good journalist. That's not a good profession. And I think it's ended over the course of Sire's career. But Sire. Yeah, no, no, I see. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And then then, if you think about it, I guess maybe it was a smear or they tried to lure him in. Because you remember that, what was it, probably around 2018, 19, that's when the recordings of him came out talking about what what he had heard from FBI agents about Seth Rich. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so this is a very bad career. Let me point that out. Let's go to calls. 202-521-3020. Al Keller, what is on your mind, sir? So, you know, just looking at your headline on uh, on your YouTube channel talking about, because that's that's where I stream you from. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about how Elon Musk has um, bad feelings about the, the economy. You know, Jamie Dimon came out and said they expect an economic hurricane the other day as well. Yeah, so tell people who Jamie Diamond is, Al Keller. Uh, the head of J.P. I mean, he's been the head of J.P. Morgan since at least 2008, since the financial crisis. Um, sorry, not uh, not yeah, no, it is. It is J.P. Morgan, and I all I remember all the fines they used to get um, during when the banking crisis happened in 2008. They got a bunch of fines, like in the hundreds of millions of dollars. But they were making tens of billions, and it's like it's fine for them. It's it's literally fine for them. They just get a slap on the wrist. I mean, major felonies, and they they just get a slap on the wrist. And he and he's warning um, that that's that's what when you want to pay attention to what a lot a lot of times what they try to do is so that they can make money. Like it's it's really it's it's illegal in a sense when you either talk something up or talk something down when you know that's not the case. They're being honest about what's going on, and I just – they're actually 
Um, like I said yesterday, they're getting they're bracing the American people for um, what they, they it's not what they expect is what they know is going to happen. And they're ju- the, and the new way. I don't think people have any idea um, the new how life is really going to be like all, anything you think of that any type of luxury you ha- that's going to go, especially if you have a family. It's going to be just basic needs, basic essentials, and that's it. Um, and it's it, it's just very shocking to actually hear them say, "Well, like somebody like a Peter Schiff has been saying for twenty years, thirty years, um, like what what our real prospects are." And I, I just see this globalist crowd; um, they don't have any cares at all. Like and they're pretty open about it. How um, you know that we're, we're I think energy is the big issue because energy is what drives the price of everything else up. If if it costs the people that are bringing your stuff more, it's going to translate into um, your goods actually costing more costing more money. Um, Like the world they have, you're that they're carving out for us. um, We're really going to own nothing. We're not going to own anything. You may not if you own a house, you may be all right because you're going to be paying it back with funny money. When it, and when, when you figure when you figure inflation out, but everything else your your food your your um, your gas your vehicles credit lines of credit are going to go away, and I, I don't think the American people have any idea um, what's going to hit them, and that's why I think a lot of the um, the, the the you know pe- pe- people there Gerald Salente who I think you should get on I think you you would re- uh, really like him from trends, um, the Trends Journal has a line where he says, when people lose everything and have nothing left to lose, they lose it. So the the anger at the system that people are angry for certain reasons, they're leg- they have legitimate gripes, but they have us fighting with each other. You were talking to uh, Ian Schilling yesterday where he said that he's exactly right. They redirect the anger, especially in the woke movement, onto onto other onto other citizens rather onto the people that are causing their life to really go to hell and you know they're they're not they are not it's no longer hey you got to go read uh tragedy and hope to understand what they have or you got to go read uh the, the grand chessboard they're having meetings and they're televised and they're open and now you got bilderberg going on now in dc i think for the first time since the pandemic so they're not hiding their plans they're pretty open about it and they, they actually think they're helping us by guiding or taking us this way and now you know, you're right alcohol he's pointing out you can you can watch what they're saying wf and they're being simultaneously dishonest and honest they're telling you what the they're telling you at the grand reset and you know something i learned from pendulette from penitentiary years ago uh, if you want to make money at the casino, Rod, this is a quiz for you. If you want to guarantee to make money at a casino, do you know what you do? Guarantee to make money. Make side bets with the house. In other words, stand along the outside and make bets with the guy standing next to you and always bet with the house. Because the casinos in, in Vegas or Atlantic City or any place, Monte Carlo, it doesn't matter. The casinos are rigged to always make money for the casino, right? 
the dealer, he's not gambling. The dealer's playing by rules that mathematically being figured out are going to make him money. So if you want to succeed, see what the elite's doing and do what they're doing. Right. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's why, that's why I'm not. A, that's why. That's why. That's why I'm not a, a gambling man like that. Uh, but uh, the dem, the what I'll say the uh, the Democrats doing these a lot a lot of Democrat cities here in Philadelphia. We have like four casinos now. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, gambling is a big problem. People leave kids in the car and they bet everything they have. You know, their all their belongings. Yeah. And and I want to get to the call because we have this interview with Sonia Van Den Ende coming up in a few minutes. So let's go two two five two one thirteen twenty. Aaron, you're on the line. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks. You're on the air. And yes, sir. Um, you know we're we're on the topic of of uh, the, the you know the gender assignment and and. You know, younger and younger people are being confused with with these ideas of who they are, what they are. And, you know, I had called in last week and, and I brought up the point of Hegelian dialectic. And and when you sit back and and kind of take the 30,000 foot view of this entire thing, you see exactly what they're doing. And and right now we, we've got a situation where you've got two generations of young people who've gone through common core and and we you know we we find we find that these people are are having serious problems socially integrating all these ideas that they they they've been taught in in the common core education and when you look at the situation in the world you you've got an administration that now following these shootings is saying we've got to go after the guns and at the same time, they're sending billions into the Ukraine. Now, I followed all your work on Ukraine, so I'm 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 pretty well versed in what's going on over there. And and you see on the face of it, the 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 obvious kind of dichotomy in that logic. And it's the same thing pro-life. It's uh, you know you've got you've got to take your shots and you've got to do everything you're told, but it's, at the same time, it's my body, my choice. And and they they saturate uh, everybody, but but you know people my age we're more integrated. We can kind of look at the data and and and, and still stay you know maintain our for- focus. But these young people they're 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 so completely uh, confused, and and they have so few social skills now as as a result of their their um, indoctrination in, in the educational system. When when you start throwing this this complex conf- information at them with, with with these confusing kind of data points in it, they just shut down and and they they have no way of of finding their way through that. So their first reaction is to just fall back and allow the the, the government to decide for them. You know. Well, let me let me use a, a different word and see if you agree with there. I'm not going to use the word confused. I'll use the word stupid. Now, and I, I don't mean stupid as an insult. I mean, literally, they don't have the ability to think through things. They don't have the ability. They're not taught to think. What do you think about that? 
Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll actually, I, I was going to use that word, but I was trying to be delicate. I'll, I'll even take that one, one further. If you go to the Greek, uh, the, the term is agnos, agnostic, not knowing ignorant and and you know they we have generations now who are intentionally dumbed down and of course that's Charlotte Isserby's work um, to where they just they're it's literally agnos they they have no knowledge of of the facts or how to how to integrate all this this information that's that's thrust at them what do you think well i i i think that's true but i think a trend I can see is more and more people are homeschooling. Have you noticed that? Yes, sir. Yeah, and I think I, I've been I've I've been homeschooling for twenty years. My son Shane, who used to be a, a host on this radio station, was homeschooled, and my kid Jack has never been to school. But more and more people are going to be homeschooling. So me, for what I'm doing, is I'm partially looking at I need to be developing a homeschool curriculum. And I don't think there's any point in homeschooling someone if you're going to teach them the same stuff they learn in school. You need to be doing what they're not doing in school, which is teaching your kids to think. You agree, Aaron? Yes, sir. I, I absolutely agree. I, I have uh, my education in the school system went as far as the 12th grade. I'm 71 years old now, and I have never stopped studying. And and you know I was I was listening to Joseph Campbell lectures when I was 16, but getting C's in science, you know. Now I've got probably doctorate level understanding of a number of things, and I know we're short on time, so I'll wrap up. I totally agree. I, the system is falling apart from underneath them, and and getting control of allowing you know showing our children how to learn is the first place to start and i appreciate you taking and that. thanks a lot great call aaron now pretty soon how much time do i have can command central can I wrap it up now okay coming up shortly a great interview about biolabs this is important stuff a great interview with sonia vanden ende coming up right after this short break on the backstory We're back on the backstory. We're very pleased to be joined right now by a journalist who's been over in Ukraine. She's in Moscow now, Sonia Vanden Enden. Hey, hey, Sonia, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks to be back on your show again. I'm fine, thanks. We're, we're very pleased and honored to have you back on. Now, last time I talked to you about a month ago, you'd been in Mariupol. Have you been in any place in Ukraine since then, in the last month? Yes, I've been back to Mariupol for the second time, and uh, I've been in Kherson. That's more to the west, and I think we were the first Western, I was the first Western journalist to go to Kherson. And Mariupol, I saw, was a little bit better now, so that's good. Yeah, no, now, that's something I've seen, too. I've seen some videos Patrick Lancaster did some videos. It seems like there's construction happening in Mariupol, and Mariupol is being built to some extent. Is that true? Yes, that's true. At least I saw uh, the city center. There was a square, uh, a lot of rubbish was gone, and uh, some houses, or I think uh, small houses, that are going to be rebuilt, I saw. 
and uh, the people slowly but surely try to open some little shops there. It's also what I saw. So yes, it's progressing. Even maybe a very funny thing, but even they opened the zoo for uh, maybe the children, you know. So that's a little bit of normality is coming back. Now, last time you were on, you talked about how a Russian military person showing you how some of the buildings that were destroyed in Mariupol, it was by shelling, not bombing. In other words, it was Ukrainian forces that destroyed some of the buildings. Is that accurate? Yes, I, that's what they told me last time. And again, I got confirmation and a few servicemen told me who were there with me that uh, you could see at you know the edge of the buildings, left or right, that it was shelling and not bombing. And also about the theater in Western media, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, I would call it propaganda, maybe fake news. But they assured me again that it was not uh, a bombardment there, but it was uh, imploded in the middle of the of the theater. So there was maybe yeah, I don't know what was underneath, and they don't they didn't know themselves. So, but most likely there was yeah, chemical stored, not chemicals, weapons, or something. I don't know, but it was not a bombardment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to you about the bio stuff because you're at a conference today in Moscow on that, correct? Yes, correct. Yesterday. But I want to talk to you a little more about, you said you're in the Kherson region. That's the area north and west of Crimea that is all Russian controlled now. And when I've seen video of Kherson, the Kherson region, it seems like life is kind of getting back to normal in Kherson, correct? Is that what you saw? People out and about? Yes, I saw people in the city center on the streets doing shopping and yeah, it was not really busy, but I think it's going back to normal. And also, we went to a hydraulic power plant that was supplying water and electricity to Crimea. But since 2014, it was cut off by the Ukrainian army. But now it's restored again. So also there, a lot of things are going back to normal. So yeah, it's good. Now, you here's a super question. But I did you have any strawberries in Kherson? I understood that people are out selling produce, and that's a very rich agricultural area. And I've heard the strawberries are very good. Did you have any? I didn't have any, but I could see when I was sitting in the bus, I could see they would sell they sell them, sold them on the streets. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so unfortunately, no, I was not able to. Well, see if you can get, get them next time we go, because okay. I've, heard, I've heard they're very good from other reporters. So in your experience, how do people in Ukraine, in the parts of Ukraine, like Kherson and Mariupol, feel about the Russians? How do they feel about them? Well, the people I have spoken, uh, I have seen, they are positive uh, about the Russians because they have a lot of misery the last eight years. And, you know, you must imagine in, in the cities that the banks are not working. A lot of shops are closed and we pass by every petrol station. Yeah, normally there's a small supermarket there, you know, you can buy some things and it's all empty. So now I think the Russians will go and deliver some goods again. Uh, the shops are getting more supply. So that's the normal life is going on. And that was not the case many, many years. So they are happy. They feel happy about it because they also got a humanitarian aid. So the majority, what I spoke to, are happy about the Russians that they came. 
they felt they also like in Kherson especially they feel Russian because I think it always was a Russian city what I heard there so Russian yeah, so they're happy well it sounds like Russia is back rebuilding and so that would make them happy that would tend to make them happy because they just want the, I'm sure the people for the most part want to avoid the politics and just want to get back to selling strawberries or whatever they do. Is that your experience that people just want to mainly aren't so political in Ukraine that most people aren't political, that they just want to live their lives? Yes, I think so. I mean, especially the younger ones. I mean, the older ones, maybe they're still a little bit political because that was from the Soviet times, maybe. But, uh, of course, young people with families or small children, they just want to go ahead with their lives, you know. Children go to school, uh, hopefully they have some work there, and with a normal life. That's, yeah. Now, have you heard anything in Kherson? I've seen some videos, but it seems like Ukraine is still bombing parts of the region and bombing civilians in the region. And that's been going on for eight years, as you say. Did you hear any reports of that, of Ukraine bombing civilians when you were in Kherson? I could. Uh, I know that they told me that uh, the front lines where we were there was approximately 25 kilometers away. So in the far, far distance, you could hear a little bit of uh, bombing going on or shelling, actually. But uh, I didn't speak to many people there about this subject, but... Uh, it's, st it's still like that, that they are, yes, of course, they try to shell the people like they did in Mariupol, you know, the buildings, and that's going on everywhere, I think, nearly in, uh, yeah, the eastern part of Ukraine, in the Donbass. Now, in the military operation in Mariupol, the people have surrendered, the Azov Battalion surrendered there, but there's still the grisly task of getting some of the bodies out on the Azovpol, the, the catacombs on the mining plant there, right? They were still getting bodies out that the Ukrainians had left behind. Did you hear anything about the bodies that they found? I heard about 150 that had been mined. Uh, that, that I don't know exactly, but I heard that there were bodies going out all the time and uh, because they were, in, I think, in mass graves. And what I heard is that they um, put them in sort of separate graves with a steel plate in between. So it looked like if it was a normal funeral. That's, that, that's what I heard. But I think it's just the top of the iceberg. I think a lot of bodies are maybe in the basements or... You know, and where they where they held the people hostage. So, it's it's, it's yeah, it's really horrible. It's what they are doing. Now, right now you're in Moscow, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I understand today you were involved in a conference on biolabs. This is a very dramatic issue, and one that I think there's some confusion on. So, what do you know about biolabs, and where where are they located? all around Ukraine or any in Mariupol? There have been some rumors that there are biolabs in the catacombs. Did you hear anything about that today? Uh, well, I uh, heard that there are around 15 biolabs in Ukraine. But about Mariupol, they didn't say as yet. But maybe, I don't know, it will come out. I, but I didn't have no confirmation of that yet. But the, the other cities, Kherson, uh, Lviv, uh, 
even in Kiev, Gerson, uh, uh, not Gerson, Kharkov, there was one. So 15 only in Ukraine. So that's quite a lot, I must say. That's quite a lot. And I, that that what you're saying confirms what I heard. There have been a lot of rumors about biolabs in Mariupol before they surrendered. But I had heard there was no confirmation of that at all. So that confirms what I've heard. Mm-hmm, exactly. That Mariupol is not one of the locations. So what did you talk about and hear at the conference today on biolabs? Victoria Newland from the United States has, of course, confirmed that there were biolabs in Ukraine, which is shocking. But is the U.S. involved in these biolabs in Ukraine? Yes, definitely they are. Since uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, I heard on the conference from yeah very good information we got there that the U.S. got involved under President Bush. Uh, they uh, sent, among other senators, uh, pre- uh, the late President uh, Obama, not late but former President Obama to uh, Ukraine just to go to on a tour and see uh, what they could do with all the biolabs. So in 30 years, they expanded the biolabs. They did more, uh, I don't know what they all did, experiments. They even used the population of uh, Ukraine without knowing, of course, for them. So yes, it's, it's very terrible what happened there. And I think a lot of things are still unclear, but and then coming future, we could hear what is going on there and must be really horrific. And of course, Newland, she knew. She could not say that she didn't knew because it's true. The Russians found out that there there were biolabs and she had to admit it and she did. Now, biolabs, one of the obvious uses of them is for bioweapons. But I understand there's also a connection between the biolabs and COVID-19. Yeah between the biolabs in Ukraine. Can you explain that? Well, there are some rumors going on that, that we're experimenting with uh, SARS-CoV, the virus, which resulted later on in uh, COVID-19. That was also, I don't know in which biolab, they didn't say, but there were experiments with it. So it could have been that the virus came from there. We don't know exactly, but it could be. So, but among that one, there are all other uh, smallpox they are experimenting with. So, who knows, monkeypox, but I heard that came from Nigeria. So, yeah, but definitely I heard there were some experiments going on with COVID-19. Now, you mentioned that Ukrainian citizens have been used as guinea pigs, kind of. Uh, can you explain that, expand on that idea? How were Ukrainian citizens used by the U.S.? And Ukraine government? Well, I think what I heard was something about the measles. They uh, let it out, you know, uh, especially among children. Also tuberculosis. They experimented with tuberculosis. They uh, would put it, uh, what I heard, something in, uh, some things, it was the aerosol in drones that was for uh, the servicemen. But the I think in with shelling, they did something with tuberculosis for the and the children got really sick there. So that that's what they did, and that's awful. Now, now you mentioned that some of the labs go, they go back to the Soviet era, but let's be clear: the United States did not go and find these Soviet bio labs and shut them down, right? They kept the bio labs open and were using them for research up till this day, correct? 
Mm -hmm, correct, yes. And they expanded them, they modernized them, and they put all, uh, you know, the Ukrainian scientists in them, but on the supervision of the US. So, yes, that's what that's what happened. Yeah, they're really uh, big biolabs, that's what I heard. Now, is there any idea on how many Ukrainians were working in these biolabs, what the no number of employees was? Mm, not really. That that's, They didn't say, but I think quite a lot. A few already uh, said that, you know, they spoke of what experiments they did there. So, but the extent, the amount, I don't know exactly. But these aren't like one or two people. These are dozens of people working in each lab, right? Mm -hmm, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because they're quite big, this uh, lab. So, yeah, yeah. So maybe each lab has, I don't know. 30, 40, maybe 100 employees. I don't know about it. Yeah, it could be. Right, right. Dozens times 15. So there we go. So what has been Ukraine's, aside from supplying labor, what has been their involvement? The Ukrainian governments have known about the U.S. biolabs? Of course they, they have, of course. And also the European Union knows, uh, uh, now the U.S., of course, but the Ukrainian uh, government did know, but I don't think the Ukrainian citizens knew, but the government for sure. Now, do you think it's starting to get out to Ukrainian citizens that these biolabs have been in their country uh, working with the U.S.? Is it starting to in, in any way get out to the populace how they've been used? Uh, well, I think uh, the Ukrainian citizens, as I, as I said, they didn't know, but I know now, surely, but surely they found out what, you know, what is actually in the country, what is going on. And I think that a lot of them, if they know now, they will blame the government or the, U the U.S., of course, but... I think they're still a little bit ignorant, but this is because of the operation going on. I think because a lot of them flee uh, to uh, Western Europe, especially to Germany again. So, yes, they will be very angry, I think, when they really know. Must be. Now, you talked about the government entities, Ukraine and U.S., but do you have any evidence that there were international corporate entities, such as big drug companies like maybe Pfizer or whoever, that were had anything to do with these biolabs? Yeah, sure. Pfizer, uh, maybe I think I heard Moderna and the company from uh, Hunter Biden. Uh, what is his name? Ross, um, Ross Seneca. Ross Neft Seneca, I think the name was, because the Biden family was heavily involved. We know that. And a lot of other drugs companies as well, Pfizer, Moderna, that's for sure they were there. Yeah, they knew. They're still in cooperation with that, you know, like as they are in cooperation with uh, the WHO, uh, the World Economic Forum, they're all involved. Now, how are they involved? Well, you know, uh, I heard a story uh, because it, it was a World Economic Forum meeting again in Davos last May, uh, 22nd of May till 26th, I think it was, yeah, last week. And they were pronouncing that we are going to get more and more pandemics. And also the CEO of uh, Pfizer was there. So they were Bill, Bill Gates, of course. And they were discussing the new pandemics. And a virologist in the Netherlands uh, is called Marion Koopmans. She is working at the WHO. She said on Dutch television that the coming 10 years, we will have 10 pandemics. 
So they know that it's a plan, you know, it's for the pharmaceutical industry to get more vaccines, to get more treatment, drugs and so on. This is the whole aim. Well, you mentioned the Netherlands. And of course, you're from the Netherlands, correct? Yes, that's right. Yes. So what's the Netherlands involvement? Uh, they're involved heavily. They are uh, a large contributor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to the WHO. And of course, they're heavily involved in Ukraine. They, um, in 2016, there was a referendum in the Netherlands asking the people if Ukraine should be part of the EU. It was actually going on for an association treaty, but resulting in a membership of the EU. And the majority of the Dutch said, no, we don't want that because Ukraine is still corrupt and still poor. And, you know, they have to improve all these things. But of course, they went ahead and were doing this. Then they were involved in the coup d'etat in 2014. And after that, we got the MH17 uh, disaster. Of course, they blamed Russia straight away. And it happened on Ukrainian soil. And some people, some investigated journalists from the Netherlands wanted to go there and find out themselves. They were not allowed. So, and yeah, the Netherlands is a very globalist country, maybe in the top five for sure in the EU. It's a small country, but they're big in other things, unfortunately. Now, Sonia, from what you've seen, is Russia as a country committed to exposing a lot of this stuff? This is These are big charges. For instance, the just the fact that you mentioned the World Economic Forum and the WHO are involved, international corporations and NGOs working with the United States in biolabs against the citizens of Ukraine, and they don't know about it. Is Russia, seem to you, committed to exposing this stuff with the biolabs? Yes, they're very committed. This is what I found out yesterday. They're really committed. And also uh, there's all the time, uh, you know, an update on the Russian television and stating about all this evidence they found during their special operation. And they think, and I think most people think like that, it's uh, it's bioterrorism because, you know, they use yeah, they use this as, uh, as terrorism actually against the world. I mean, if they're going to say that we're going to have more pandemics, why are we going to have them? Well, this is, they use it, it's, it's weapons, you know? So Russia is, what I heard, very committed to uh, let it be heard around the world. Unfortunately, in the West, it's very difficult, you know, with all the propaganda that's going on there. So, but Russia is very committed. That's what I found out, yeah. Now, at this conference in Moscow, you're at today, how many people participate in that, first off? Uh, well, a few uh, foreigners like me and uh, some other from the U.S., from Germany, who are here also. Uh, a lot of political parties, uh, somebody from uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, some people from the Donbass, some, I think he was somehow a judge or at least a jurisdictional uh, procedures he was in, in uh, Luhansk. So, sure, how many people were we? Well, around 30, I think. Oh, now, at this conference, did you hear anything that strikes you as particularly shocking or frightening that you didn't know? Anything that you heard today at the conference? 
Well, uh, I, I knew a lot already, but it's still shocking to hear that there were 50, really, that they confirmed that there are 15 laboratories and that uh, they're not even protected according to the standards. So, and that the people of the Donbass were used as guinea pigs, especially children with this tuberculosis outbreak. And that frightens me because what are what can they do more, you know? And also about the COVID-19, we knew how we know how terrible that was, and now they're going on with the monkeypox. So, yes, that's that frightens me. And the 15, that's quite quite a lot, you know, 15 in a country only Ukraine. So it's yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, are any of these 15 labs still operational, or are they all shut down now? Uh, well, I think some are still operational in Kiev, because that's not, you know, a special operation. Lviv, this thing must be still in operation. The ones in the Donbass, uh, like in Gerson now, uh, yeah, they're not operational anymore. I hope so, but I think not. So, But in the western part of Ukraine, they must be still operational. Now, it sounds like this is in some region somewhere between bioweapons, and pandemic outbreaks. Is there a crossover between bioweapons, the, the, the U.S. or other countries essentially weaponizing the WHO and weaponizing these corporate promoters of pandemics? Yes, that's, that's I think, what it is. I mean, it's... Uh, of course, there were experiments, but they, they use these diseases as a bioweapon. This is what I clearly heard. And uh, I don't know exactly if COVID-19 was a bioweapon, but after what I heard, yes, it, it must be. And how, where it originated, yes, of course, we think it's Ukraine. It could be because that time, you know, uh, the U.S. was uh, in, uh, in, in China with these military games. Some people say it came from there, but... I think it's more you should more think about Ukraine and also the, the countries around it like Georgia, Armenia. They also have bio labs, so it's it, it's really uh, yeah it's a bio weapon because uh, some evidence also came that they want to uh, destroy the Slavic people. That's what they said there. So that's a huge allegation, I think. And but it could be true because as you see how they going on in the in the news or the news I call it propaganda about Russia, you can yeah, you can imagine that it's like that. Now do you think that's one reason a lot of people in the West, particularly in the US I know, have been asking, why does the US seem to care so much about Ukraine? They've been asking, why are they putting so much money into protecting things from Ukraine? And given all the problems we have here, a lot of people seem confused by it. Is this a possible explanation why the U.S. is protecting Ukraine? Because they have such a bio presence in Ukraine? Yes, that's what exactly what it is, I think, because it's actually a testing ground for their bio weapons. And they spent a lot of money organizing these bio labs to renovate them, to put more experience in them. So it's a testing ground, not only for the U.S., I also think for the EU. So why would a country like the Netherlands say, OK, Ukraine, please come to uh, the EU? They're a poor country. They have 
nothing, not really much. Not, not now, but <laughs> they have nothing anymore. But why did they do that? Well, of course, the EU thinks about trade in Ukraine before that, but to have cheap labor there, to put their factories there and hire some Ukrainians for cheap money. But I think the main reason is all these biolabs and it's a testing ground. And of course, Ukraine is located to the border of Russia. And for years already, we know that they want Russia. So that's the whole reason. No, exactly. So, Vinden, and uh, do you have anything else? Thanks for your time. This has been a great report, although a little frightening. Do you have anything else you think people should know before we sign off? No, well, I think the people should realize that uh, this bioterrorism or this biolabs has to stop because it's a threat to humankind. Maybe it's even more a threat than a nuclear war, although maybe it's the same. But, you know, think about it, what they can do with all this. They can destroy a lot of people. So I think the people must stand up a little bit and, you know, take some actions against it. At least go demonstrate or do something, you know, because it's going out of control. Sonia, thanks so much for joining us on The Backstory. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. And that was our great interview with Sonia Van Den Ende. And she talked about destroying people. But I think the obvious threat that we know exists already is they can destroy people's lives by locking them down. This is a way to hurt people and control them without actually destroying them like a nuclear war would. So I think the danger of this is significant and has been proven already. They shut down the world for a period of time with the threat of bioweapons and the threat of biological damage to humanity. So watch out for the potential of this for world control. And that's the kind of stuff we talk about every day in the backstory. That's all the time we have. We're about to sign off. Thanks again to Sonia. And thanks to Scotty Moore. Forgive me, not Scotty Moore. He played with Elvis. Forgive me. Scotty Nell Hughes. She's better than Scotty Moore. But thanks again, Scotty Nell Hughes. And to all our great callers. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Tarif, as usual. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.